Welcome to You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things Scream Free. My name is John Allen Turner. He's Hal Edward Runkel. Hal, how are you today? I'm doing great. Fantastic. You Absolutely. were just up in New York. Is that where you were yesterday? Yeah, upstate New York at upstate. Fort Drum, the Mountain Division. Wow, fantastic. And then you got to uh, spend some time in the Syracuse airport. Is that right? I did. I did. The lovely travels. That's great. Yes. Hey, have you heard about um, uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots? Have you heard this story? Vladimir Putin with Putin stealing his ring. Yeah, have you heard the whole story about this? No, this is fantastic. So I guess somehow or other, Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, is in Russia. Yes, and he gets to meet Vladimir Putin, who is what's his title? Is he the president? President as a president? Okay. Yes. So, uh, so I don't know. I, yeah, you're just making that up. Uh, but I sounded confident. You, as long as you sound confident, that's, no, that's really what walk I do with, with a sense of purpose. That's what I do with my kids all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So Putin looks down and he says, "That's an interesting ring." I don't know if that's what he sounds. He sounds like Drago. That was horrible. That was terrible. So yeah, he that says, "That's a, that's a that's an interesting ring. Can I see it?" Uh-huh. And and Kraft has the Super Bowl ring with the diamonds and everything on yeah. it. So he takes the ring off and he hands it to him, and Putin looks at it. Puts it in his pocket and turns around and walks away. And his entourage kind of closes. Wow. And Kraft is on the other side of the entourage like, um, can I have my Get ring my back? $25,000 ring. <laughs> so then wow. a few days later, there is a display of all of the um, like gifts mm-hmm. that visitors have given to Vladimir Putin. Wow. And the Super Bowl ring is, in is the, on display. The case. Yeah. Um, that's my ring. Could I get it? No, it was gift. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so now Robert Kraft has asked the White House if intervene. they could intervene and get his ring back. Wow. He can't. This is it's, another it's one like made? it's like being in third grade, isn't it? It's, it's like Mrs. Johnson, Hal won't give me my pencil back. It's amazing. It's a very special pencil. I mean, it's not like he can't buy 50,000 rings with his money. Just have one remade. <laughs> Wait, who are you saying this to? Are you saying, saying this, this to, to Robert Kraft? I mean, seriously. But that's the Super Bowl ring. Make another one for crying out loud. And Say. let the bully take your ring? Or create an international incident where there's nuclear powers <laughs> <laughs> at each other's throat? Are you serious? So the threat of nuclear holocaust. Now, do you really think nuclear Russia is- would launch the missiles over the ring? I'm telling you this, uh, we have seen, we have seen <laughs> in history, right, wars over less valuable pieces of property, but. Now, it, I'm not saying no, yeah. it's not going to happen, but why go the trouble of bothering the White House over this silliness? It seems it, a little like triangulation, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. I can't deal directly with him, right? And he treated me badly, so I got to bring in the authorities, right, in order to do this. It's it's like a, you know, my kid, one of my kids coming to me and saying, "Hey, the older one stole my thing, and now yeah. I've got to intervene." And what would you say? Would you say what the White House has said? No. You you go fix it yourself? Yes. Would you Nine say times that because like like the White House, you're a little bit afraid of Vladimir Putin? No. <laughs> that dude well, is have crazy. You've seen he's him with his right, shirt off yeah, on the right horse? With, 
<laughs> have you seen him with his shirt on? Yeah. No, you yeah. haven't, because you only see him with his shirt on, off, the right? Horse. That's the yeah. shot. You shirt off see. on the horse. Shirt off fly fishing. Shirt off wrestling a polar bear or something. You know, I mean, it's just with a fish it in his mouth. Russian, it it's... is Russia strength. <laughs> but uh, you know, I would say usually. I mean, it's a great. Uh, I don't know what what I would call this. It's a great segue into discussing sibling issues, but it's very very common. And nine times out of ten, I'm more far more interested in what they do to figure it out themselves than I am in fixing it. Right. To try and bring about fairness. And we, yeah, that's we feel the, this um, compulsion sometimes as parents to intervene. Make everything, yeah, absolutely, because we want to make it fair. Yeah, we think fairness is like the ultimate virtue. And and, and everywhere I go and speak, we get asked that question about siblings fighting, right? And here's what happens, is our anxiety about them fighting and our desire to have things fair Fair. and just and equitable... But that's not fair. Exactly. What we end up doing is, well, first we put on our referee stripes, Right. Yeah. In order yeah, to yeah, yeah. And we them, weigh in yeah, and set them to their separate corners. As if we are completely objective yes. third party omniscient. And because and then it gets worse. We put on kind of our sleuth hat, our inspector <laughs> right, right. inspector so, hat. So right. we've got a referee shirt and, and a, a and a uh uh, who am I holy to cow! Oh my gosh! Uh, elementary, thinking, my dear Watson. Yes, who is that Sherlock guy? Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. I was, we thinking, got the... I was seriously thinking of Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was going in through my head. No, I've got a Sherlock Holmes hat and yes. a, and a pipe and, and a, to tw- figure a tweed out... jacket over my referee. Yes, foot to locker, figure out who did jersey. what when because that's what I need to do is yes. figure out the fact in order to then slip on a judge's robe over it all to dole out the appropriate punishment for all parties. Meanwhile, they've already moved on to whatever, but we're yeah, yeah, working yeah. really, really hard at do, occupying all these roles, not realizing we are robbing our kids of the chance to experiment in one maybe the greatest relationship laboratory ever created. That's what siblings are for one another. You know, I've, you and I have talked about this before. It's the longest possible relationship, relationship they're ever going to have. Yeah. And so it's it seems designed as a way to cut their teeth. And so one of the great things to do is say, hey, guys, work it out. But yeah. that's not fair. Work it out. Yeah, yeah. For me, I tell my kids all the time, a fair is a place where the horses go up and down and in a circle. <laughs> but we don't, we don't live in a fair. Right. You know, fair ended a long time ago. So mm-hmm. we, we're not interested in fair. We're interested in right, and we're interested in peace, and we're interested in learning how to get along and, and occupy yes. the same space. And we're interested in growth, in yeah. your growth relationally, your ability to handle things, work so, things out. So when the White House says to Robert Kraft, work it out, mm-hmm. You think it's because they want him to grow? Of course. <laughs> I think they see it for what it is. A ridiculous thing. Ridiculous. Well, also, you you own a football team. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you send your defensive line over there and right. say, get the ring? <laughs> right? <laughs> How would that go over? Well, the Patriots have lacked a pass rush, so... There you go. Maybe. But that would, that would be an awkward conversation. Well, sure. Right? To say, Mr. Kraft would like his ring back now. Well, it's always awkward when you have to tell another adult that they're acting like a child. Yeah. I've dealt with this coaching sports. Right. Where... Is there such a thing as a scream-free coach? uh, They are 
as rare as the unicorn and the <laughs> Loch Ness monster. I believe there's one. Yes, at the mythical it's scream a four leaf coat. clover. I believe they exist, even though I've not seen it with my eyes. Something happened this past season, a basketball season, where I'm not a coach. And it's great because my well, now, son, you coach baseball, baseball and I've what, been coaching baseball for a long time. Why don't you coach basketball? Because you, you actually, you love basketball. I that do. was your... It was my or, sport. Yeah. But I did coach basketball um, a couple of times when he was younger, but this was for the school team. Oh, okay, okay, right? I got so, you. So, school team, he tried out, made the team, was great. We're watching a game, and uh, it's at a big highfalutin gym, and, and unfortunately they made the mistake of putting the players and the coaches on the same side as the stands. So okay. you're there at the bottom of the stands. And so you're hearing everything. So, and so you're s- sitting behind your team, right? And the other fans are sitting behind their team. And our team uh, was very, very good. They ended up winning the championship. They lost one game, and that was to a team of ninth graders. But these are seventh wow, graders. Yeah, seventh they were grade, insane. Okay. They were and And they were really, really in shape. He ran them to death in practices, and it was kind of just... They were that full old John Wooden approach. Full you know, court press yeah. the whole game. Oh, yeah. Yes, even when your backups are in. And so this team's up by, I uh, think, like 42 to 14 or something, mm. you know, in the third quarter. But we wow. have, we've got our scrubs in. And, but scrubs, it's so stupid. So it's second teams, including my son. And they are still pressing. Well, there's a dad. Sure. Yeah. There's a dad from the other team who comes over to our side. And remember, they're right in front of him. So sure. he's sitting yeah. behind the bench. Screaming at our coaches, saying, "What are you doing? You're embarrassing these kids!" And da 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 da. And so the guy says, "Hey, hey, you know what? Um, let's let's whatever, whatever." Calm down well, just a little. But he keeps it up yeah. and keeps it up. Now I'm sitting just a few rows away, to where eventually he, the, this dad, stands up and starts screaming, and our assistant coach stands up. Now, <laughs> it's a private Christian high yeah, school, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? That espouses these very, you know, in everything they sure, do, sportsmanship, yes, and, uh, yeah, and representing Christ. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I have a hard time imagining Jesus standing up and saying what this guy then said. The assistant this coach, assistant coach oh says, dear. "You want to take it outside? Let's go. This game will be over in five minutes. We'll go outside in the parking lot and take care wow. of this." Wow. Well, that was the key for me. Kumbaya, oh my God! And I stood up and just went straight down, and I put my hand on each of their chests. Wow! And pushed them okay. away. And I was calm, but I was forceful. Sure. I don't know, maybe that's not the word. I was sure. very, very firm. I mean, my yeah. hands on both their chests, and say, "Would you guys both grow up right now?" Yeah. And then, and so I, and then another dad took the fan dad. And said, "Look, you need to get away, but you need to yeah, get away." Yeah, I yeah. went straight to our coach because I hold him to a higher standard. He's the coach, yeah. And so I am in his and, ear, and all those kids are looking at exactly. him right now. And that's what I say, dude. You are a leader of these young men, and what are you showing to them? Da, 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 da. It was here's what then happened: was he was upset, and yeah, but he did. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter, right? So then I sent an uh, email. He was very awkward, and I sent an email to him afterwards, and I said, "Look." Uh, I will never bring this incident up again, but I want you to know this was obviously unacceptable. We crossed the line there. Hold you to a higher standard as a leader of these mm-hmm. leader of these young men. And I just said, all you had to do was call the ref and say, could you please have this fan moved over? Yeah. That's it. 
you got all that power as but a coach. you've got all this adrenaline going and all this it's, testosterone and exactly. all this everything, and you feel backed into a corner in those moments. Because he stole my ring. That's right. Yeah, he exactly. Stole he my stole my ring. ring. He challenged me. And that, so I, I had to, I actually had an experience over spring break this year. I'm not sure if I told you about this mm. or not, but uh, my family, we went up into the mountains in Tennessee and we did some stuff. We started Gatlinburg. in Chattanooga. We went over to Gatlinburg and we did some stuff there. And then, um, and while we were in um, Pigeon Forge, I think, yeah. um, we're staying in a hotel. We'd been out at Dollywood oh all day, you oh know, boy. and so and it was exhausting. And we get back to the hotel room, and and there's a, a pizza place in the parking lot. And so I said, well, I'll just run over, and I'll, I'll grab a pizza and then come back. So I'm, uh, I place the order, and I'm sitting at the bar, mm. and um, uh, and it, it's packed, mm. But they're short-staffed for whatever reason. It's terribly, terribly managed. Somebody didn't show up. Yeah, yeah, somebody doesn't show up. And and the manager doesn't handle it very well. And so there are people, there are whole sections of the restaurant that are closed. And there are people who are trying to order food. And the manager tells them to just sit at the bar. So we've got, I'm, I'm standing at the bar. And to my right are two families with their kids sitting at the bar. All right. A guy comes in, and uh, he just wants to drink. Mm. And he looks around, and what are all these bleeping kids doing here? And he says wow. it louder than I just said that. Wow. And looks right at him, you know. Wow. Now, I recognize these two families that are over to my right because I've seen them in line all day at that Dollywood. At Dollywood, wow. Right, all right? And they have young kids, like four or five, you mm-hmm. know. And... This poor miserable dad is Young just bleeping kids. He yeah. is just trying to shove some pizza down yes. his kids' pie hole and get them back to the room before they fall asleep. And right. one of the kids is actually like laying his head down on the bar. He is done, done, you know. And dad is done, but mom, right, has her claws, claws out, out yeah. because this guy has just dropped this uh, f bomb in front of it, and he's staring at her kids. Wow, and. I can see dad is like going into, uh, where's the, can I get my check? He's doing the international sign for check, you know, trying to speed this process along. And mom says to drinking guy, you got a problem with my kids? Wow. So now. What does the dad do? Dad says, says, let's get the check. Let's go. Can I get some boxes? Can we? And now she looks at dad. Of course. What are you going to do? Are about you going to do something about this? this? He's looking at our kids. Your manhood. Oh, so dad kind of oh, okay. So now dad has to mouth off to drinking guy. Wow. Quit looking at my kids. You got a problem with my kids? Say it to me. Yeah, I got a problem with your kids. Why are your kids sit- and he's dropping f bombs and all, wow. I mean all kinds of profanity in this thing. This is fascinating. Yeah, and I'm in the middle. Yeah. Me and this other guy who is from Kentucky, who is there with his grandkids. Mm. And his grandkids are back in the hotel room, and just like me, you know. And uh, and so he and I are, are standing there, and we're kind of caught in the crossfire. Right. Now, um, at this point in time, Drinking Dude decides uh, to launch an offensive. So he starts walking. Oh, really? He actually yeah. gets up from actually the bar stool. He gets up from the bar stool and starts walking towards Family Dude. Grandpa and I kind of exchange a little look, mm, like like we got to do something. We got to do something. So Grandpa goes to help 
mom and dad and the kids make a hasty exit. Right. And I just stand up and put my body in between. In between. Facing him? I'm facing drinking guy. Drinking guy. And I just looked right at him and I said, No, sir. Wow. And he said and he like he, he was confused and mm-hmm. he tried to step around me and I said, No, sir. That's not gonna happen. This family's had a long day and they didn't know you were coming in here tonight. And they're just trying to feed their kids. Mm. And they'll be out of here in five minutes and you can have the bar to yourself. But we're not we're not gonna do this. And he looked like confused. He didn't know what to do with that. Right. And so he just kind of said, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> like he yeah, he didn't know what to Interesting. He said, okay. And he went and sat back down. Now And I'm, then the manager comes over and try you know, sure. is there a problem here? What's yeah. going on? You know, all this kind of stuff. I'm curious how you felt. Um I I haven't been in a fight in a long time. I was time, just gonna say, you know. I mean, I am a peaceful, peaceful man. What were you prepared to do? I don't know. Exactly. Here's what I do know. At the time, I was working out a lot. This was right after my birthday. For my birthday this year, I bench pressed my body weight. So I was in much better shape than I am now. Right. Um, And I'm not, for people who hear this, they don't know. I'm not a small person. I'm six foot one. I weigh almost two hundred pounds. You sure. know, and and I was an athlete, right. You know, through college, and uh, and so I'm not a slight person. So I I just what I did, I made myself as wide as I could. You know what I mean? Like you could you sure. put your shoulders out. I just made myself as physically imposing as I could. Right. And I just said no, sir. Wow. I don't know what I was prepared to do beyond that. So, yeah, and that's my experience when I, don't I stepped know. into this coach. And yeah. I don't know what I was prepared to do. Yeah, see, you put your hands on both of those men. I did. If they had gone at one another, what what were you prepared to do? It, it's the weirdest thing, though. It was. It was like obviously I had I had some uh, Papa Bear claws thing because it's in yeah. front of my son and sure. all these kids that I know and love, and so there was that thing going on. But there was also this. I'm. Uh, professionally an ambassador of calm yeah right it's my job i see it as my calling in life and right? we frequently talk about how the calmest person in the room is the one who is really in charge always and i stepped into that situation and that was kind of one of the mantras that was going through my head was if you're calmer than he is you'll be able to control this situation exactly and that was going through my head as well it was I need to be an agent of calm, if you will, in mm-hmm. this incident. But it's not a passive calm. So many times people hear calm and they think like I kumbaya d- and passivity. And, yeah, exactly. Absolutely not. You know, Mahatma Gandhi was maybe the greatest ambassador of calm, and he was anything but passive. Sure, right. He was he was a fighter in so many ways. He just the ways that he fought were similar to what you're describing. What you did. I'm not going to be offensive, right, buddy? I'm going. To, I am going to be a roadblock. Yeah, I'm standing here. Right. I'm I'm willing to be yeah. a roadblock, yeah. you know, and and that's kind of how I felt. Well, here's what's interesting: when you were telling that story, I was like, man, and you did all that without your wife watching. What a wasted opportunity! <laughs> it is true. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Didn't think man, about had that. she been there? Wow. <laughs> Couldn't have kept her hands off you. It would have been great. You know, why, why do we avoid those kinds of awkward conversations? 
Because whether it's a conversation like you had with the coaches, right. you know, why, why do so many people, because I wasn't the only person there seeing what was going on. Sure. And you weren't the only dad at that game. Why why are we so hesitant to kind of jump into the fray? Well, it's the same thing that's happening in the bullying uh, dialogue right. is the conversation is shifting more and more to the bystanders, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why... Why are we allowing this? Yes, why are kids not standing up for getting involved in when it's three on one? What is what is prompting kids from stand from standing back and either nervously laughing along with the bullier or kind of avoiding it? Well, because I don't want that to happen to me. Yes, I mean that's you know sort of uh, that survivalist instinct. Yeah, there is that. Exactly, and and that's kind of the shift because it's always been about the bully, bullied or the bullier. But now it's about the bystanders. Yeah, they're, they're, and thankfully that's good because that's what we need to do is is teach less about not doing something like bullying and teach more about what does it look like to be involved. Right. Well, it's it's difficult to teach to a negative. You exactly. know, that's a, one of the things that we we it's do impossible. in our yeah. You can't teach your kids. So even at an early age with our kids, rather than say don't hit, mm-hmm. we said turners are gentle. Mm-hmm. You know, and rather than don't lie, right. Turners tell the truth. You know those kinds of things. So we we've always tried to teach to positive things because and, you can't not think about a pink elephant, right? Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. As soon as you drop that idea, so stop bullying, right? As what's the positive version of exactly? That? You know, we and we've got to figure out how to project that. Practice compassion. Yeah. Seek out the people that seem to be alone. Seek out, you know, and this is something we've tried to encourage with our with our kids, is you be the one that seeks out the new kid, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't have any friends. Right. You be that one to welcome him, him or her. And that's a positive statement into it. But it is interesting why, well, I was not the only one to get involved that day. Okay. There was another parent who took the other, that Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You and, mentioned and that. And you had the grandpa, the grandpa was there. Right. Yeah, that's true. And it's interesting it, because so. But here's, I was the first to act, and then the other guy was right there with me. Yeah. I don't know if it would have happened the other way around, but I'm wondering: were you the first to initiate, and then the yeah. grandpa fell? Yeah. Followed your lead. Yeah. As it, as it was escalating, the grandpa and I were exchanging some looks. glances. Yeah, like, and and I was, I don't, you know. I think I was the one to yeah. make the first physical movement. Right. And once I stood in the way, the grandpa moved around to to help mm-hmm. the family make an exit. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I keep thinking about kids and how I would absolutely want my kids to be first movers, if you will. Yeah, to be the ones to take that initiative. Right. Rather than... So many times I think we allow life to happen to us. Well, that's... Almost ninety nine percent of the time. I mean, that's that's the. Uh, it's so easy. Everything in us screams out to play victim. Yeah. To life, complain, and, and then we can blame it. Of course, because that exonerates us. Yeah. Well, of course, I had you know th- because this happened and that happened and this other thing happened, and so that's why I have to be the way I am. Which is going back to that whole siblings thing. I don't want my kids to 
think I've been treated unfairly, and so I deserve the authorities to come in and make it better for me. Mm. I don't want to teach that mentality. Right. But I do teach that every time I intervene too quickly. Uh, yeah. Right? yeah. I yeah, intervene yeah. too quickly. We and have to have it. an authority weigh in on this, or we won't ever be able to resolve it. And because we can't resolve it ourselves, we are helpless without the authorities. And so, I mean, we are the most litigious, America's most litigious nation in the history of sure. the world yeah. because of this very thing. Well, and some of it, because we we don't feel empowered to be an authority right. on things. Like, when did you start feeling like you were really an authority on relationships? Hmm. It's interesting. As a professional, it didn't... Th- I remember this one shift where I was going to graduate school. I already, I, I'd already finished one graduate degree in ministry, and then I was switching to therapy. And you, you go to school for a while before you start seeing clients as right. part of your practicum. Right. But you have to see... 500 hours. Oh my gosh, I remember those days. Yeah. yeah. See, cuz I did the exact opposite. I went to school first to be a therapist right. and, and then, then switched. switched and I I got into my practicum. Mm. So I did all the coursework, got into seeing clients and then thought, man, this is not what really? I want to do. Interesting. I don't want to sit and listen to people for 45 <laughs> minutes. I want to make them sit and listen to me for 45 minutes. So I became a, a preacher. Well, maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> true for me too that's since it. I don't see clients that much anymore and I speak all the time. But I remember this, uh, they're coming to see me. Yeah. Do they have any idea how screwed up I am? (laughs) Oh, crap. (laughs) Right? But the real shift, though, but but you got practiced at it, and you were trained very, very well, and you're in a good environment, right? Being supervised. The real test was when you're out on your own. Because when they're coming to see you and as part of a practicum, they're paying $5 yeah. for the and session. And they you... also know there's probably a professional somewhere in the building that if, if this thing catches sure. fire, they're sure. going to bust down that door and they're going to intervene. Sure. I do remember, though, even even part of... There's some stories I tell in the Scream Free Parenting book that yeah. were from my practicum days. Wow. Which is interesting because there were some powerful stories that sure. happened. I had a guy... You know, say I'm going out to get my gun and come back, and I'm taking you out, and, wow. and then myself, and it's just interesting stuff. But the real, I had a guy come in once; he had five wristwatches on. Okay, and it was so they like, weren't swatches in the no, in they were no, this was <laughs> no, these were legit. You know, wristwatches. One of them was a women, a woman's watch. Uh-huh. And it was disconcerting, and. You don't want to lead with that. But are you wondering? Tell me, tell where, me about the watches. What's yeah, up with the watches? Where you know? are the arms that those watches were on at one point, <laughs> Mister Dexter, serial killer? Yeah, but you're sitting there. You know, as a therapist, you're mm-hmm. you're wanting to be open, and you're wanting to mirror, and you're wanting to you know all of those kinds of things. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I'm saying, when are we going to get to the watches? Right. Because at some point in time, that needs to come up. Sure. I need to keep my eye on the clock and make sure we don't run out of time before, before I get I the to watches. the watches. Funny. Funny. Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked him about it, and he he seemed very offended. Oh, really? That I asked him so about the watches. So it was a watches. stylistic choice. It was a choice okay. that he was making. That's fantastic. Yes. That's good for him. Yeah. So I remember the big shift, though, was uh, I moved here to Atlanta to start a practice, started with an agency, and all of a sudden, I went from people paying five dollars to for a session with me in the, in graduate school, and I didn't see that money, obviously. Right. 
to then me charging $80 for an hour. It's a big jump. With me. That was the biggest, uh, that was the steepest learning curve I've experienced professionally. Yeah. Is getting to that place where you could say it with a straight face. That'll be $80. Yes. And then it got higher than that and higher than Did that. Did you feel like you, you needed to say that'll be uh, $80? Oh, absolutely. It, would that be okay? Uh, yeah. Would that like, be, or was that, and, and is you that know, too I, much? Yeah, that, yeah. And, uh, that one was, felt like it, a $40 session. It's tough. It is tough, right? And you got to, you, so you asked an authority on relationships. That's when I began to feel authoritative is when I began to see, you know what? I didn't lose myself in that. I held on to myself. I held on to my principles, even though what I heard in me was, well, it gets complicated with the dynamics involved sure. in the session where they're trying to triangulate you into their situation. So I'm right, yes, right? Yes, against. And as you get, it just took experience. Okay. Lots and lots of experience. The 10,000 hour kind of thing? It, it Very, very much so. But I, I got to say, I wrote Screen for Parenting before I had those 10,000 hours. <laughs> but, Any regrets about well, that? Well, here's what I had done, though. I didn't write that book until I had been delivering that seminar for five years. Right. So it was field tested in over a lot of places. And, over and you, and you, over. You, you presented that material to a lot of people who had their 10,000 hours under them True. who came in and affirmed. Absolutely. And I, would, I, and I sent out the material to lots of different therapists, professionals uh, that I respected and said, hey, what do you think? And but the main thing, though, was I found myself having a better experience with my kids following these principles right. than I saw other people having with their kids. That's a big deal. It was. Because so many, I mean, it's it's cliche almost, mm. you know, that, that so many therapists have terrible family right, themselves. Right, right. And, and ministers. You know, ministers. And any family kids and, right. and coaches are all out of shape and yes. all of that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the nice things that I, I really um, uh, love mm-hmm. about this organization is I've spent time with you right. and and Jenny, and I've spent time with you and Jenny and your kids, and you've spent time around me and my family as well. Right. And I know the struggles you guys go through, mm-hmm. like every other couple, sure. but I also know how deeply committed to living with integrity you guys are. Mm. Well, I appreciate that. It is it is absolutely a bedrock of our organization. Yeah. And it's even to the point where we have, uh, I don't know if I would say hampered our growth as an organization, but it has been difficult. Uh, bringing people on board as right. we grow the yeah. organization has been difficult because our real first requirement with those that we hire, certainly, with those that we train, all of our certified leaders all around the world, is that this needs to be in your bones? Yeah, yeah you, in your you, DNA. We are actually um, uh, practicing what we preach, and as much as we can. I mean, if we're honest, and true. we've had these conversations in here, even and on this podcast, that we, we fail often. Well, we certainly fail often in screaming, but the biggest thing that we adhere to is the humility about ourselves. Yeah. Right? That's the thing we, we try to. And, and I will tell you, I think that is the greatest quality a parent can have. Mm. Is yeah. you are aware of your own BS, that you are aware <laughs> of your own hypocrisy. Because there is coming a time, if it hasn't happened already, there is coming a time when your kids will become aware of it. Absolutely. They and my kids have been pointing it out to me. I mean, even yeah. before. Yeah, I always say teenagers are the greatest 
BS detectors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hypocrisy antenna. They're unbelievable how they pointed out. But it started well before that. I I mean, (laughs) I remember my daughter one time after I lost it with her going, running into the study, getting a copy of Screen Free Parenting and bringing it out and putting it in my face. That's brutal. Saying, you're not supposed to scream at me. That's brutal. Rud. You're right. I'm sorry. You deserve better. Uh, But. They see me do that, and that speaks so much more right, than any right. wisdom I try to impart to them. Is the fact that, hey, I, I make mistakes. Mm-hmm. When you become a grown-up, you're going to make mistakes, sure. too. Sure. But you know what? I don't even follow that up. Follow it up with that. No, 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 no. But no, you don't have to. That. You, don't, you have don't have to. to. But what you're communicating to them exactly. is when you get big, you don't have to have everything figured out. Right. For you to live and be productive and healthy. And ultimately, I want to show them, because they see me apologize to my wife a lot, (laughs) (laughs) is what hopefully I'm showing them that vulnerability and mea culpa, taking responsibility, is not the opposite of strength. That that is what being a grown-up really is, is taking responsibility, not being not having all the knowledge and having all the information and always being right all the time. Not being the strongest person in the room necessarily physically, mm-hmm. but being the one who is willing to own their own stuff. That that's, that's being a grown-up. It's the ultimate definition. And it's what doesn't get shown. Right. By the supposed adults who freak out at basketball games and think they're trying to protect their kids from being embarrassed. Or have misunderstandings about a gifted ring uh, or stolen <laughs> ring. Gifted go, with little air exactly, quotes. And then go to the biggest authority in the world, the White House, and say, please get me, get me my ring back. I mean, that's just not adult behavior. Right. It's childish behavior. And... What, if 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 we have one dent in the universe, to use Steve Jobs's term, uh, it would I would hope that we would increase adulthood in the world. Yeah, that that's really what Scream Free yeah. is trying to accomplish. Sure. Is that we're trying to help people learn what it means to be a grown up and know how to live towards that, beginning with ourselves. Now, one of the things that we've had in our household this week. Okay. That has um, has been a tremendous growth opportunity for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, started at the beginning of the week, um, Shadow, the fish, oh, passed. Oh, yeah, That's and uh, tragic. Fish belonged to my nine year old. Saved up some money mm-hmm. over the summer, doing some chores, extra work around the house, all that kind of stuff. Went and bought the fish, and the fish did not make it. Right, and it was tragic. Oh. Uh, it's heartbreaking, and uh, and so then there was the funeral okay. for the fish over the commode. We did not. We chose not to do we that. Chose the burial. We chose the burial instead route. of the burial at yes, sea. Yes, I was at an advocate for the burial at sea. Yes, but she would have none of it. Okay. So, uh, so we froze the fish because it happened at night. Okay. So we we put it in a uh, ziploc and put it in the freezer, and then in the next day buried it. We buried it in in the yard. So that the dog wouldn't come and yeah, yeah. At least so not for a while, exactly. Yeah, that would be a that would be a diff, a, even more tragedy added on top of it. So we got to have a conversation. <laughs> Seeing the fish in the dog's mouth. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 
So <laughs> we we got to have a conversation about death. And Natural it actually Geographic Channel, right? In yeah, the it was the awesome. yeah. And and it was a an interesting. Well, let me go back another uh, episode because last week we had some very good friends mm-hmm. uh, who live in another state, and their uh, three and a half year old daughter yes died. Yeah, you were telling me about that. And um and and that family has been very close to my family mm. over the years, and we know that little girl, we know those parents, we know the siblings, we know that family very well, and they know us. That's brutal. Yeah. And we were there when she was pregnant with her, and oh, you know, yeah. and, and so it was. We watched the funeral, uh, Simul- over online. Online, you know, it was a, a a good, healthy thing for us to be able to do. Sure. Um, we sent them gifts, we've Skyped with them, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, so our kids kind of had that and then the fish died. And then, uh, day before yesterday, my grandmother died. Your grandmother died? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. Your wife knows about this. What you and you and my wife talk more than apparently me and my wife yeah. do. Mm. Really? Yeah. My my grandmother died. Now it was not a surprise. Okay. My, and and to some extent, my grandmother's been gone for a while. Her body just hung around for okay. a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, struggled with dementia and mm. and all this kind of stuff. Very... And about about two months ago, maybe six weeks ago, they called the family in and said she's going to die today. Mm. So I drove down there. I canceled meetings and I ran down there and walked in. And as soon as I walked in, she perked up and said she would like some soup. Wow. Um. So not the so typical was, behavior of right exactly someone people. who's dying right yes. now. But we knew at that point in time, and, and so everybody got to say their goodbyes, and that that was good. Um, uh, but death has been in our house yes. a lot lately, and in fact, I'm leaving as soon as we're done here. Mm-hmm. We're going down, and we're going to the funeral home, and there's visitation tonight, and then I'm doing the funeral mm. tomorrow. Where is that? Uh, on the south side of Atlanta, oh, okay. down in uh, uh, Clayton County. Okay. Uh, well, actually, the funeral's in Henry County, but... but um, I'm sorry for your loss. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm going to a funeral tomorrow as well. So, um, a lot of times, bringing up the topic of death with our kids is awkward. Yeah. How do you, as a grown-up, help your kids process stuff like that? One thing, and I've always done this with my kids, we go to funerals. Yeah. Like of strangers, that would be weird. We just pick them out. <laughs> which which obit sounds good to you? This one sounds fascinating. Every Saturday, yeah, that's what go. we do. Like some people go garage sailing, and you guys go funeral. Funeraling, that's right. Something happens in our church. If they, if there's any connection whatsoever, I've always told folks you don't have to go to weddings. You have to go to funerals. Yeah, you go to funerals, yeah. and so we have taken them. And we've spent money on suits and whatever that they may not wear again, but yeah. we do it. And we do it. And we always have. And I know families that, well, we don't take the kids because that. We don't want to like, see. What and are what you are doing they... to your kids? Take them to funerals. Normalize this. Death is the one inevitability that stares each of us in the face from the moment we are born. Absolutely. Right, and I know that's not a very cheery thing to say, and a lot of people, you know, react bristle against that or bristle. Something. But, but it's true. Well, it's the we only thing that makes us dying. So, oh, and that's what makes us ultimately aware of life. That that it's we are, going to yeah, go away. That that one day it will end. And I want to normalize that process, and also normalize loss. There was a time when people died at home. Yeah, and that was the deal. And then and, you would have them on, like, on the. T- 
dining yeah, room you table would, for a while. Yeah, you would have them out there that for would be the a wake. week. Yeah. Exactly, you know, and, and it was, we lived much closer to death yeah. than we do now. Now it's all removed. It happens in a, a facility somewhere else. It happens in a, an institution or a hospice facility True. out there. True. And then we take them to a mortuary out there. And it never comes in our house. Because we want to kind of delude ourselves, I think, mm-hmm. by divorcing ourselves. Into from... thinking that it's never going to happen yes. to us. And, it and happens so to other people out there. As and long so, as I stay out of that facility where death happens, then death won't happen to me. I mean, me. imagine how much money is spent prolonging life. Sure. Well, now longevity is so, so... Much longer than it was for any generation. Sure, yeah, we are going to live longer than any generation for a very long time. Yes, and and we spend tons and tons of money. Healthcare dollars are unbelievably slanted towards the 70 and above. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, it's incredible because we value life, but also because I, I think we have, like you said, not wanted to in some invite the normalcy of the life cycle into our lives. Yeah. We're going to dilute ourselves kind of by kind of, you know, putting it out there. So we're going to funerals. Like tomorrow, I mentioned I'm going to a funeral. There's, um, we belong to a, a group, at our, as a small group in our church for a while when we first moved here, when our kids were young, and there was this uh, older woman, and she had an adult daughter, and this older woman loved on our kids and loved on our kids, and the adult daughter, she got sick. Mm. And then got better, and then got sick, and then got better, and then got sick, and she finally passed. I think she was 40... Three, I mm. think, and so she passed, and so the kids, which we had plans tomorrow, but nope, we're going to funeral tomorrow. Yeah, and what's cool is this: this daughter, she knew it was going to happen, and she requested no one wear black to this funeral. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So we're all just going to get dressed up in summer clothes, and nice clothes. And yeah, that's what we're going to do tomorrow, and it's going to be painful and joyful at the same time. Right. And I want to teach my kids that you can have. Differing emotions like that at the same occasion. You can have, because this woman, her mother in so many ways is going to experience incredible grief and yet measures of relief. Because yes. it has been a very exhausting, yeah. expensive journey for a while, and celebration. And we can't really talk about that side of death. Right. The fact that there is, for the family who has been on this, uh, particularly. Uh, when you deal with dementia, sure. you know, and, and Alzheimer's, and they, they call that the long goodbye. Right. You know, people who've endured that. Yeah, I watched my grandmother do it, and it was exhausting for my, for my and mother. And there is a sense of relief right. that nobody feels permission to, to talk about sure. be, uh, unless death is normalized. Yeah, and that's what I want to do for my kids is just say this is something you do as part of a community, and it yeah. is, it, it's an enriching experience. It's not a necessary evil to be tolerated. It's an enriching experience in your life, and so I'm going to introduce you to it, because my job is to introduce you to the real world. My job is not to protect you but from the real world. But to prepare you for... got to prepare you for the real world, and that's, I think, the entire job of parenting, which is the emphasis of the launching book that right. I'm writing now, is kind of reframing all of parenting. Our anxiety says all of parenting is protect our kids from harm no matter what. And what that is doing is prolonging adolescence into the mid-20s without preparing them for here's how you handle money. 
here's how you handle. Money's another topic that's a little bit like death right. that that we just get all squeamish right. about. And I've never understood that. Um, I, I money is normal. Money is just it's a part of life, right. and there there doesn't have to be a ton of mystery about it. It's all shrouded in this idea that we so worship money, and we put a ranking system on each other based, based on, on it. Yeah. how much you have or how much you're worth or how much you can earn, right? Yeah. We put a ranking on that. But also we put a ranking on it, who's better at managing it than others. And, and there are people who are gifted money managers. Oh, like, it, it just... Absolutely, and gifted money makers. Yeah, right? yeah, sure. And and yet, if we don't teach our kids uh, that money management is just part of life, money is part of life, money is necessary, right. money isn't inherently evil, money can inspire a lot of evil things, but it's not evil in and of itself. Right. And if we don't teach them to look at money in a normal sort of way, we give them all this weird baggage Right, and and I think death is a similar topic. I agree. That I agree. we've got to teach them how to process this and and to understand death is a normal part of existence here on Earth. But here's the problem: is all of that requires that we learn uh, how to process death, yeah, yeah and that yeah. we as adults learn how to manage money, and that we know how to. Uh, integrate our sexuality into our lives enough that we're comfortable enough to talk about it with our and, kids. And how to resolve conflict when conflict inevitably arises. These are all part of owning your stuff. This is part of taking exactly. responsibility and being a, a grown-up. And here's, I mean, parenting is leadership. Here's the dominant theme of this book that I'm writing, and it's so difficult to write because it is forcing me to look at myself, and, and it's painful. And but it's the leadership. Parenting is leadership. We are leading the next generation of human beings into adulthood. But we cannot lead people to a place that we, we have, have not yet been. to go, or yeah. that we dabble in, or visit occasionally. Right. We are adults here and there. Right. And so it's not about getting. I don't want to give the message that we have to have it figured out, and then we can talk to our kids about it. It's a process of you know what. I'm not going to tell you what I know but I am going to share with you what I'm learning. Mm. There's a huge difference between those two. Yeah. I am going to share with you what I'm learning because I am more committed to helping myself be a grown-up than I am to helping you become a grown-up because that's the only way I actually can help you become a grown-up. Mm. So I'm forcing myself to go to funerals. I'm yeah. forcing myself to have conversations. My, I go to a therapist to talk about you know, continuing sexuality issues. I'm, I'm, I'm going to a financial planner, right? It's amazing right. how we don't go to financial planners because... How, yeah, because we feel awkward about it. And we feel so guilty about how I've mismanaged stuff, and I don't... It's like stepping on the scales. You know, I know I'm <laughs> overweight, but good <laughs> Lord, look at that in real data. I don't yeah. want to see that. So we avoid going to a financial planner, even though everyone who does... Is is so grateful. Better I am off. so thankful for my. I I, I, I want to say their names, you know, yeah. but I, you know, but but I'm so glad that I'm able to take like a little shoebox full of money to exactly. them and say, "Could you make more dollars out yes. of this?" You know, yes. because they know how to do that. Tell me what I need to do to make myself 
grow up a little. Yeah. That's what you're asking people to do. That's why I go see a therapist. That's why, but that's why people don't go see a therapist. Because they don't want to grow up. No, and, and they don't want to face how they've actually mismanaged their life up to this point. Right. They don't want to be honest. We they don't, don't want to own we don't. their own stuff. I don't either. It's very, very uncomfortable. Own your own stuff. But that's kind of... Yes. But the hallmark of adults is that we are willing to do uncomfortable things for the sake of growth. Wow. Well, okay, so now I get to uh, drive down to the south side of town, and I get to spend time with my family of origin, and it's going to be difficult for me to maintain my grown-up-ness, because it always is when you go back to your family of origin, right? Good luck with yeah. all that. And this this is also made uh, a little bit more, I don't know, it's not awkward, it's, it's interesting, that um, my dad who's been a pastor for almost 50 years, um, said he's he doesn't feel like he can do the funeral. Is it his mother? Yes. Yeah. And I, I totally get that, but, sure. but he's asked me mm-hmm. to do it. And so there's this kind of almost Passing a... Passing of the baton. Yeah. It's like when you get the electric knife at yeah, Thanksgiving. It, really? Yes. That's exactly what the last year has right. been for me. Interesting. So... Maybe next week we could talk about that. See how you uh, made a mess of your grandmother's funeral? Well, uh, you know, maybe we I could talk think... about this kind of uh, passing of the torch sure. and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, and, uh, and that'll be what we yeah, start with. Yeah, I've got with. a great story about when my grandmother finally died and watching how my mom and her sister changed. Okay. All right. We'll save that for next week. Cool. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This is You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things Scream Free. My name is John Allen Turner. And I'm Hal Runkle. We'll see you next week. How long? Please? 48 minutes? Beautiful. 49.